This is episode 208 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 208 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I've got Mark Loeffler on the show. Mark comes on usually at least once a year, and we talk about what he's up to, as well as what's going on in the market, what his predictions are. Mark and I, for those who don't know, we used to do a lot of YouTube videos on his YouTube channel, making predictions and, and this and that. And it's been a while since we had done one, so I thought it'd be great to give him my take, hear his take, and uh, see you know how our thoughts might change. And uh, Mark made some good, interesting points today. Uh, it's all food for thought at the end of the day. Uh, but Mark's also doing some very interesting stuff out in Edmonton using the uh, CMHC MLI Select program to get 50-year amortizations and 4.5% interest rates in this market, which is actually uh, quite favorable, although you know a year ago it wouldn't have sounded as such. So it was an informative discussion with Mark, and I'm confident you're going to get something out of it if you're interested in knowing what's going on in the market. He's a super knowledgeable guy, and I always appreciate having him on. With that said, and just before we jump into the episode, I'd like to remind you that we talk a lot of terminology on this show and it's constantly evolving. For those of you who are having trouble with some of the lingo, head right back to episode one. I used to break things down. I watched a couple of those videos lately. The way I broke things down back then, I included spreadsheets on my YouTube videos. I really did try to simplify it the best I could to teach concepts like debt coverage ratio and leverage, cap rates. If those are things you're struggling with, head back. Trust me, you won't regret it. First 10, 15 episodes really should give you the base foundation you need, and then you can get right up to date, or you can listen all the way through. Many people still do. That's quite the mission at this point, but it just depends on what your appetite for that is. With that said, a couple other reminders. The GTA West REI Meetup is still happening monthly. Make sure you're part of the private Facebook group so you don't miss the next event. It's totally free, and it's an opportunity to meet like-minded investors that are doing things. And of course, I'm going to make special mention of the Investing in the U.S. Mastermind for those who are interested in investing in the U.S. If you head to investinginthus.com, this is an event that both myself and Nick Van Dyke are putting on, and it's going to be a real banger. It's going to be packed with information, and if that's something you're serious about doing, you won't want to miss this event. So now, without further ado, let's jump into episode 208 with Mark Loeffler. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I've got Mark Loeffler back on the show for our annual video or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. So uh, let's get right into it, Mark. Uh, tell me what's new. I mean, actually, do the the quick summary if somebody were to ask you what you do, what's your backstory in real estate, just for anyone who hasn't heard your story. Jeez. Uh, quick backstory. Okay. So I've been investing in real estate now for just over 20 years, I think. I started out uh, doing duplexes, triplexes. In uh, Cornwall? <laughs> no, I actually started a new market. Then I went to Toronto. Yeah. Then I went to Cornwall. And then Hamilton. And then Hamilton. Yeah. And then I've been, I was in Hamilton for a long time. Yeah. Um, and now I've recently, I still own stuff in Hamilton, but I sold a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Recently, I've been buying out in Edmonton. Yeah. Um, and I always look for different markets to invest in. I'm not stuck on one spot. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at economic fundamentals and yeah. looking to see where I can get the biggest bang for my buck. And as I'm, Super curious about uh, your U.S. investing because I do want to invest yeah. down there. I just think maybe now is not the right time. I think you know maybe six to twelve months. Uh, personally, be more ready. Plus, I think it's going to be a better market. See, I think almost the inverse because I think the bigger opportunities coming in Ontario than the Florida and U.S. in general. Because I think, the, and we're going to dig into this because. You're the guy that I wanted to bring on the show to talk about this with. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll spitball a little bit on it, but. Uh, 
Yeah, okay. So continue the backstory. So you've obviously yeah. done quite a bit. Edmonton's yeah. now the current yeah, market. Yeah, so we own just a bit over 200 units in Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, we still own, I don't know, 30 or 40 units in Ontario. Yeah. Uh, down from like a couple hundred. Um, and yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I like Ontario as well. Um, but um, yeah, and then I'm obviously a licensed realtor. Yeah. I help investors buy sell uh, investment properties in Ontario yeah. and now Alberta. I'm licensed in Alberta. Yeah. And also what's recently new is I took on five coaching clients. Yeah. Yeah. That's new to hear from you. I, I remember you, you were mentioned that right before we started. So yeah. Um, yeah. Very cool. And I will say like, I've known you as the guy that will just adapt to the opportunity and you've always done that. Like you, you wrote a book on rent to own, but don't do rent to own. <laughs> yeah. I don't do rent to own anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember asking you that way back when, I think when I first met you, I don't even think you were really doing it anymore, uh, which I found funny. I'm like, wow, this like inspired me. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, you know what? It, I, a rent to own is still a great strategy, yeah. but it's a, um, it's a strategy to sell, right? Yeah. To sell your real mm-hmm. estate. Um, and a lot of times I don't want to have to be forced to sell in a certain time frame. And I've done all that work yeah. to lead up to this. Right, right. There were so. other things you could do. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like we all have a certain amount of bandwidth and you're going to kind of focus on the highest leverage, the highest uh, profit right. opportunities. And, and rent to own is great. Like it was great. It got me started. It allowed me to be full time in real estate investing for like the first three or four years. Yeah. And then I obviously got enough outside income to be able to not yeah. do rent to own because rent to own is a lot of work, right? Like it's a lot of upfront work. It's a, it's lot, a lot of upfront work, right? Because you have to qualify the clients, like getting the marketing out there and vetting the clients is obviously the bulk of it. Yeah. Right. And then they find their own house typically, right? That's in the model what, that's you were what doing. I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good because then they're like emotionally in love with it. That's correct. Hopefully they yeah. buy it one day and then your hands off. That's the part that's easier though right yeah that's the part that's easier well because then they're just in there they're they're hypothetically doing their own maintenance the only part it's not easier is when they don't clean up their credit that's the that's then the it's work. a nightmare yeah, yeah that's the work is they you have to be on them to clean up their credit yeah 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 i've um you know i've been in and around rent to own um quite a bit and i've seen that that's kind of the hang up is uh, if the landlord doesn't know how to coach their their tenant to improve their credit then you you know you end up three four years down the road with a very angry tenant with, they should be mad at themselves, of course, yeah. uh, but, you know, they don't take responsibility or accountability No, there, there's for no personal responsibility. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, you bad landlord, you <laughs> didn't tell me. Um, meanwhile, of course, they were told, but, uh, you know, they don't know how, and, and there's obviously a lot of hand-holding needed, and, yeah, it is what it is. So I totally get why you would want to move away from that. I think there are some people out there who do that really well, but mm-hmm. it is, like, you got to be geared to do it. Yeah, you, like, it's more employees, it's more... Yeah, whatever. And it's training those people to actually know what to do too. training. Right? Yeah. And then you know, building that into your price, like when you charge a, a fee, if you're setting them up and you're selling them, like uh, say Jag does, um, you know, like you, you have to build that into the price. We need a credit counseling, you know, yep. you know, part mentorship kind of thing. Exactly. So, uh, okay. So interesting. You moved away from that. And then uh, obviously Edmonton's, uh, it was an opportunity for you. I saw the same opportunity. It was just a matter of where am I going to focus? I chose us, you chose Edmonton and, uh, tell me about how it's going. Do you still see it as a, as a big opportunity? Um, are you adjusting in the current climate? Uh, I think it's a, a great opportunity right now. Um, like it's, it's one of the only markets I know that like pure MLI select 50 year amortization mortgages, 95% mortgages work. Yeah. Yeah. Like you'll get full evaluation, 95% mortgage. So is that, that's what you're doing, MLI select on everything? MLI select on everything. And what's your process? So I think when I first talked to you about this or when you first came on and talked about this, you had you just had a couple of buildings you had purchased. 
Yeah. And you're in the process of turning them over. Yeah. Um, how has that progressed? So we've turned over uh, two of those right now. We're in a process of getting MLI select on a third. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're turning over a bunch, three more right now. Okay. And um, like number of units you're targeting, like how big are these buildings? We have everything from 15 to 90 units. So the 15 mm-hmm. unit was the first one and the fourth one. And then like the re- most recent purchase was 90 units. 90 um, units, okay. Uh, I'm looking at a couple portfolio deals of eight, six to eight buildings. So they might have some smaller stuff in there and some bigger stuff in there as well. Okay. So this is just somebody you've, you've encountered that has a number of properties they're willing to part with? Yeah, possibly. Okay. And how much have you seen the market come down out there since the peak in last March-ish? So, I mean, obviously it's different residential to commercial. I, I don't think the commercial markets come off that much. Yeah. I actually think it's risen out there because MLI select and rental increases. Yeah. Like the rents have gone up there, I don't know, 10%. So, like, what's a, a two-bedroom in one of your buildings going for? So, in the renovated building, that's going for, like, 1400 1400 And in the unrenovated or not as nice stuff, like, we're getting, I think, about 1150 or 1200 Okay. And is that where you were buying them at? Like... No, they were, like, 900 900 Yeah. But you can just... The lease terms up. You just say, hey, this is a new rent. You don't have to play the games you got to play here in Canada, or sorry, in Ontario. Like yeah. you can just basically tell them, "Hey, here's the new rent. You like it? Stay. Yeah. If not, don't." Hundred <laughs> percent. Is there any restriction at all on how much you can change it? Uh, it has to be. You have to make. Um, um, you have to make it. Uh, what's it called? Um, like reasonable, or is it? Yeah, you have to show a business case for it. If like you can't just say it's a million dollars. Yeah, but- say hey, this is what I would plan to do with the rent, and this is what I would get. So I need you to pay this or move yeah, on. Yeah, you just yeah. so here, here's a comp over here. This is why I'm charging this rent. Did you say like, I'm gonna I'm gonna be using this for executive rentals? It's gonna be three thousand dollars a month. This episode is brought to you by Controlling Compound Financial. They are real estate investors assisting other real estate investors to implement the infinite banking strategy. To learn more about how this can help investors like you, visit controllingcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines. This episode is brought to you by the Investing in the U.S. Mastermind hosted by myself and Nick Van Dyke. Nick, let's talk about why it's so important to network with other people who are doing what you want to do. You're the average of the five people that you hang around with, so... When you go to events like these and you network with people that are wanting to do big things in their life, you know, generate more, more income, wealth, more time, you know, all that good stuff. You know, you're, when you surround yourself with those people, you just automatically now want to essentially replicate that. And, and there's so much that can be accomplished by going to meetups and things like that. And those are all great. But when you focus in on a mastermind, these are people who are willing to invest in their education. They're determined to see an outcome. And it's a like-minded outcome with what you're looking to do. Uh, for me, that's huge. I really like nowadays how, you know, you and I are business friends. We're friends but you know, it's not like my high school friends where we don't really talk about investing. You and I, we talk about investing when we get together, what we're working on, and it, it brings us both up. We have a limited number of people that are, that are going to be attending this event. We only have so much space for them. Our hope is that you're going to have an opportunity to speak with everybody who's in attendance, get to know what they're working on. And that's why we're starting early and we're going right through uh, to a dinner that we're including in the event uh, to give you a chance to actually have those conversations. If you're looking for more information, head to investinginthus.com. Thanks. Now let's get back to the episode. Like, I mean, if you could prove that or are you reasonable? I'm sure you could. I yeah. just, I, I've never had anyone fight any of it. Yeah. Um, they've just said, they know okay. that rents change. Yeah. And then, um, 
Yeah, I mean, the like you don't even need to do an economic eviction out there because if the lease comes up and you don't want to renew it, you just say, okay, your lease is done. Please See leave. Later. Yeah. So there's no auto renewal. Like no it's, but do they assume it? Like, do they assume it's going month to month or do they ask you, no. are we allowed to stay? No, they ask. They're like, oh, what are we doing? Are we signing a new lease? Oh, so they want to just, is that normal out there to just sign new leases? Not, you sign a new lease every time. So no one's month to month out there. No one's month to month. That's very interesting. I like hearing these unique little differences. Mm-hmm. So overall experience, I think, I think Ontario is just so tenant friendly and, and you know, sort of communist. But anyways, <laughs> in that regard, anyway. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, your take on Alberta, obviously much more conservative. Much more conservative, much more free market. Free market, let the market decide. And what's yeah. the problem with that? Because you'll see Alberta actually correct down. Like the rents will correct down. Yeah. But not in Ontario, they're not no, going to. No, they're not going to correct down because we have yeah. a... We have a uh, systemic problem here. System, all these people who are hanging on to low rents in old buildings, that they, they just haven't done proper increases. They're not going to give up their rents, and they're kind of forcing uh, landlords to increase their prices everywhere else. Well, that and yeah. people aren't just going to build rental properties. So they're not. Like, there's always going to be a shortage. Yeah. Um, sorry, what was the original Do you think, you, well, I mean, just your take on one province versus the other, like in terms of oh. a business case for doing doing rental properties in Alberta versus right. Ontario. So, I mean, the biggest difference is, and my biggest fear is that there's not as many regulations. So if there's a huge rental increase, you can just go ahead and uh, build a heck of a lot more built like property, right? You can put that many more units on the market. So yeah. it's really supply and demand. Yeah. And I think so. that they're also volatile on the demand side too, because if oil is, is, is a, you know, a big thing, the price goes up, there's more mining and more jobs and it makes the pro- province boom a bit more. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's as much as it was like, um, Not so back volatile. in 05, when oil prices were like first hit a hundred dollars a barrel, um, it was definitely like it was they were it was a boom it was such a boom yeah like you're 18 years old getting out of high school you're getting one hundred fifty thousand dollars mm-hmm. job type thing because they just needed that many people um it's not they're they're just not hiring as many people it's more technological now yeah. they've they've gone back to um they, and you know they're just not going to drill as much right yeah. they're just not um so it's a little different um, but they are, they're still increasing capacity out there yeah. and that type of thing. It's taking just not on new as, projects as well. Yeah. It's yeah. just not as at the same steam. So you don't get, I think that's going to level off the boom bust a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it'd be obviously welcome news to anyone investing out there that it wasn't as volatile as it used to be as, mm-hmm. as oil dependent as it used to be. Well, I wish it went up 50% last year when I had a couple hundred units. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. You didn't stuff. really get the boom. And, and that actually is a comfort to me when I look at a market and I see they didn't really get the boom in my mind. That means the bust shouldn't be as bad. No, there's yeah. no guarantees, but that's how I feel about it. That's, that's my general take on things. Yeah. Is that your general look at, at it as well? My general look. And you know what? They're, they're set to outperform Canada. Like yeah. Alberta, the set to lead the country in economic growth over the next five years. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, I mean, on the positive for oil is, is you know, prices have been generally up. But of course, now they're kind of coming back down. I mean, they have a huge yeah. techn- technological, uh, sorry, technology mm-hmm. uh, sector out there that yeah. they're fostering, like just different businesses. Yeah, diversifying, that, yeah. And they're diversifying. And you know what? A lot of people from Ontario are going out there that mm-hmm. aren't working in oil and gas. Yeah, of course, yeah. And it's mainly for, I mean, 
Some some of it's for the mountains. I mean, I love the mountains out there. Same. Yeah. Did you uh, buy a new place in Canmore yet? I haven't bought yeah. a new place in Canmore yet. <laughs> figure out some stuff before I do that. You timed that one perfectly when you sold it, right? You 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 were like right near the top. I I don't. Yeah. And that was just someone came in and said, "Hey, I'll give you a boatload of yeah. money for this," and I'm like, "Okay." Yeah. When you think opportunity minded, I feel like you attract. You know, good deals come to you. So. Yep. I. Think I uh, <laughs> I love hearing stories like that. That's great. So you you cashed out. I mean, hypothetically, I think prices are probably down in Canmore a fair bit from a little bit, like what ten percent or something, maybe 10, 15, 20 percent, yeah. maybe. Okay. So um, just before we jump into sort of looking at the market in general, I wanted to get um, an idea. So these buildings, you say they work at um, you know an MLI Select program. So what kind of cap rate are you finishing up with on your valuation? Oh, we're getting like a five and a half cap. From a five and a half cap. Yeah. Okay, so five that's, to five and a half. And at five and a half, that satisfies their debt coverage ratio. Yep. When you're using a 50 year amortization. Yep. Because normally that's not going to satisfy, especially not, not with today's interest rates. No. And I mean, CMHC interest rates are like four and a half right now. Okay, so you're, is that really where you're coming in on MLI Select? Okay, so you're getting like a four and a half. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, MLI Select is a CMHC program. You can get points. Um, yeah, so in order for you to get. Based on affordable, affordability. affordability um access efficiency. and efficiency or, yeah. or eco-friendly so are you doing affordability to get the 50 year m yeah so a certain number of units are going to be priced below the market yep and they have to stay there yep how much below the market i think you set the rent when you start and it's not below the market by the way it's uh based on affordability so to be affordable in edmonton you have to be below i think it's 1670 a month so they have one of the highest per capita Oh, okay. Incomes. So then that works no problem. Yeah. You can be affordable and still under market rent. 100%. <laughs> and then you Great get a certain loophole. increase over yeah. the years of what you can raise yeah. those rents to. So, Okay. So you're restricted in that regard, uh, but the other ones are just free. Right. So right. what portion of your, your units are So if you do a 50-year amortization, it's 80%. If you do 45-year, it's uh, 65%. But you were comfortable doing. Now, do you see a negative to that? Like, is there a potential? Oh, there's definitely a negative. If it does, yeah. if it does boom like it has, and rents double, rents double, but the incomes don't. Yeah, and I don't even know how how economies pull that off. I feel like it's just families, like the brother-in-law moves in, like you just end up getting a well, whole bunch of people. Living no, if in somebody unit. moves out, yeah. I have to keep that unit under the same. Yeah, you still have to. That's yeah. what I'm saying is like you'll get two families living in one unit. Yeah. When 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 we hit the because I saw that happen in one of my London rentals, and I'm like, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah. Because that's how else are they going to afford it? Incomes didn't go up, but rents did. Yeah, you know, there's just too much uh, too much demand. So, well, usually if rents go up in Alberta, it means because incomes are going up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it's supply and demand, right? I guess Alberta would be the different. Like in Ontario, they're just bringing in too many people. There's so many people here, even though incomes really haven't gone up to match. Yep. Um, you have a lot of foreign buyers and stuff. So, um, which yeah, we're going to dig into that a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else we want to cover on the MLI Select program. Uh, and and what that's doing for you, um, I'm surprised at five and a half. It still works at 50 year AM. Like because I've I've run it on a spreadsheet, and like once you go past like 30 to 35 to 40 years, it starts making a lot less of a difference in your payment. Mm. But still worth it to you. 50 makes a difference. 50 makes a difference. Yeah, it yeah. keeps it low. Okay. And at the end of the day, um, you're still on five year terms, though, right? Yeah. That's the only real risk, right? Like, what if in five years rates are 10 percent? You're hoping rents will have come. I up. don't. I don't think that's going to happen. Think so. But- well, we're going to dig into that now then. Yeah. Um, okay, so the other reason, obviously, Mark, I want to have you on is, is we've talked about markets so much. I've got my take. We haven't talked in a while. You've got your take. Um, love to hear it. So uh, g- give me what you got. 
Well, it's funny. Somebody commented on my YouTube channel the other day. He's like, why are you still buying? Yeah. Like, why are you promoting buying? And I'm like, well, I mean, if we're talking Ontario specifically, I think there's an, uh, a fundamental problem in real estate here is that they don't build enough of it for how many people they're bringing in. Yeah. And they're not bringing in poor people. Like these are economic, like people yeah. who have jobs or businesses or money to be able to buy their yeah. way in. So they're people who want to, you know, they're not paying $600. They're not looking for a $600 apartment. They're looking to either buy a house or, yeah. or do whatever. Um, so that's going to obviously, you know, that if there's not supply, then yeah. that increases demand. That's going to increase prices. Yeah. As, as you would think, right? Like this, they've very much manipulated demand. That's all that's happened. When you manipulate interest rates, you don't take the demand away. You just, you literally soak up all the dollars these people have. Well, I mean, what you did is you pushed demand forward. Everyone saw that and said, oh, I got to buy now because I got to lock in my cheap interest rate. Yeah. And so you push demand from this year, like yeah, 2023, back into 2021, 2022, yeah. right? Oh, that's, see, that's so, so short-sighted. I'd rather pay the higher interest rate on the lower price. Well, I mean, there's a whole bunch of people out there on Instagram doing the, doing the math right now. If you bought it then at the peak to now, uh, what you'd be paying. But yeah. I, I like to do year over year. And I think you're still better off if you bought, well, no, because we're getting into that time where it's peak to trough now. Yeah. Uh, or peak to now. Yeah. Who knows if it's the trough. Um, but yeah, like, and it's, it's, it's getting cheaper to own it now, like mm -hmm. monthly and date down payment wise. Yeah. Cheaper, cheaper now, even though we're paying much more. Yeah. And it, it, I'm more thinking for the long term. like if we had 30 year mortgages, like they do in the States, it wouldn't matter. Go ahead, buy the property for, you know, and I'm, this is not advice, but in my mind, uh, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars more to lock in at a 2% would yeah. actually be worth it when you keep that 2% for 30 years. Yep. I mean, the people that locked in in 2021 at like two and a quarter in the States, I saw all kinds of memes about this. I thought it was hilarious, but uh, like, they're just laughing. Like, well, you don't need to sell. Here's the biggest thing about the States is you can break that mortgage at any time without a penalty. Yeah, so if I you mean, had a four, so if you had much a, more favorable. If you had a 4% mortgage, you're like, oh, never mind. I'm going to go get a 2% two, 2 mortgage again, brand new mortgage. Yeah. And re-amortize over 30 years and... yeah. It's actually insane. Or 15 or whatever, but yeah. I, I, uh, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I, I was talking to a guy, because I obviously speak to several Americans now that I'm investing down there, and I explained what we do with our mortgages there. He's like, that's absolutely insane. Yeah. He's like, what, what's going to happen after five years? Well, we just renew at the market rate. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so yeah. you don't know? <laughs> like, they're actually really put off by it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why all, all the arms and everything they had, like, uh, back in 08, 07, 06, 07, 08, that's what threw them, right? Like, Yeah. They must have been getting a killer deal back then. They weren't. They were just... On the arms? Why, why take an arm when you could lock a fixed in for 30 years and break it at any time? They didn't qualify, right? They were, oh, they, they those were the qualify. ninja loans and yeah, stuff. Yeah. So Yeah. That's... Uh, and the teaser rates were good for six months to a year. Yeah. And then if you could refinance and do another teaser rate, you're yeah. like, oh, because you didn't have a penalty. Right, right. So you could just keep rolling it into new mortgages. And I mean, kind of bad for the banks there, but, you know, good, good for the people. And so this is why I think this is why my take on the U.S. is they're going to feel it a lot less. It, like where in 08, they felt it a lot more. The 30-year mortgages are now going to save a lot of people because now they don't need to sell. Whereas you look at Canada, people are renewing into triple the rate. Yeah. All of a sudden, their payment is now underfordable. And now they're thinking, um, maybe we'll list. That changes things. Yeah. 
You might be right. I, I go more that um, I, I I look I'm looking more like the political, yeah, um, troubles that are down there and like how um, yeah. it took 15 uh, tries to elect the uh, speaker of the house. Yeah. And it takes one usually, and they have the debt ceiling coming up in August. So I mm-hmm. think that there's a very real chance, better than 50% chance, that they could default on their debt in August. Well, what's the historical precedent for them defaulting on their debt? Never happened. Never happened. So why would it, why would it happen now? Whole different system, whole, whole different mechanism. Like it's, they've never had, they've never gone to 15 votes for a, a, a Speaker of the House. Yeah, yeah. So they're just, so it's, all, it's and, always been one. It's all, yeah. you have a couple of, um, yeah. like hardcore Republicans that are, like, hey, but, you want you want us to vote? Yeah, we'll vote, but we need this. Yeah. and they basically want. Uh, so they have a standoff. They they want um, domestic spending cuts. Yeah, Medicare. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's yeah. Are I they going to repeal all these massive unibus bills that went through? I mean, who knows, right? Like, nothing's yeah. ever going to get through because the Senate's still you know Democrat. So it's just a whole bunch of nothing getting accomplished. Well, that's it. That's yeah. why I think there's a better than fifty percent chance that they default on their debt. Okay, so let's unpack that. What what happens in that scenario? Aren't all the Congress people not getting paid? Yep. All right. Well, that'll be an interesting year. But let's be honest. <laughs> like they they probably make more outside of Congress than they do inside. Oh, one hundred percent. Nancy Pelosi became like uh, worth what two hundred plus million. Yeah. On a two hundred thousand dollar a year salary, like these, it's all favors. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. So I, I find it humorous when I really unpack what politics actually is. I'm like, and people don't don't get mad about this. And I think most are just too into their lives, their daily lives. To... Well, it's so funny. I had a conversation this morning and he's a pretty wealthy individual and was basically said, you know, these politicians, I've seen them on their hands and knees begging for money. Yeah. And, the, you know, when you get that, like, he's like, are they really doing what's best for their constituent, constituents and their country? Yeah. Or are they doing what's best for them? Because you don't get you don't get smart people doing it, right? It's always like, the latter. I mean, yeah. if you want to be a politician, you want it to be a politician. Like you'll know when you see somebody who's not a politician getting into things. Trump, for instance, not a politician. Yeah, just played the game. I think very ego driven. Like, yeah. uh, I'm not saying I, uh, he did some good things, and he's also a bit of an idiot too. So that's yeah. my take, anyway. Um, but like, I just yeah, you just don't see it. Like, why would a guy like you or I want to get into that? No, never that's happened. Circus. Yeah, it's a circus. Um, but yeah, I think it's very much the latter. They do what, what's good for them. I think the party system causes people to capitulate to what the party wants versus what their constituents want. Um, I've always thought this, well, not always, but for like probably the last five, six years, I've been very much, why do we have parties? We should have no parties. Hmm. People should actually just get in based on their own merits, not the color they, they wear on, on their shoulder. Yeah. And we would have a very different system if that was the case. We would. Because then they would actually have to listen to their constituents and what they want. Yeah. So well, even things won't work. But. E- even in our system, it yeah. doesn't matter. Like you vote whatever, and then it's the prime minister and their office dictating what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Because right. if you don't vote with your party, you get maybe one or two passes, and then all of a sudden, hey, we're gonna have a problem here if if we don't start seeing you vote yay. Yep. Yeah. So, not to go down that road. But because they all want the yeah anyway yeah it's true we could <laughs> not that I don't mind going I mean I think it's a valuable discussion like if we're real about what's actually going to happen like Canadian government isn't going to be doing investors any favors but there will be opportunity in what they do there's always opportunity right yeah like, like the MLI is... Select program is a huge opportunity that's sort of well it's government sponsored ultimately yeah. CMHC is government corporation so um, there's a benefit you took advantage of it yep so but 
obviously as economic troubles continue i heard one of and i won't give his name because it'll be up to him if he wants to share this on the show when he comes on but um one of the investors i was speaking with he has many like hundreds of doors here in canada and he's actually in single family houses and he's shifting away from them and his his thought is you know the mortgage issue too he was big on that uh the five-year mortgages but also uh Canada is is uh, not nearly as friendly to the entrepreneur, right? Like no. when when you have a, a landlord here, we have you know tenants actually think landlords are the bad guy. Even yeah. small landlords who just have a couple of rental properties, big bad landlord. Yep. Um, that mentality, he says, he's found many city, cities in the states where he doesn't see that. Yeah. And and he feels a lot more comfortable because he's like, you know, one day they're going to scapegoat on on the small landlord, and it's not going to be fun. Yep. So just a thought. I mean, I don't know if that plays out or not, but it's an interesting perspective. I think they already have. They're already, mean, it's already happening. You're seeing hints of it, for yeah. sure. I mean, I think it's interesting. We're seeing that lawsuit against the uh, Landlord-Tenant Board right now. I've just been waiting for it. Yeah. Like, I, I've, I've said this. Somebody has to sue them. Like, this is... Yeah. Uh, it's unconstitutional. It, it's, it's fraud. It's criminal, yeah. what they're doing, right? So... The constitutional part of... And I mean, maybe you have a take on this or not, but I kind of I heard that, you know, the provinces were in charge of property, personal property. So I went and read through it, the division of power in the Constitution. It just basically says that they can do it. Yeah, they can they can regulate, you know, property. So what's their angle if they're suing them? Is it like a charter? Two charter? years getting somebody out. So yeah. it's just economic. It's yeah. like you've caused me economic harm. I've had, yeah. I've had damages. So they're just straight up saying you're like you, a simple civil suit. You're, yeah. you're causing me. They harm. have to. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the only thing that. And what's the status happen. of that? that right I don't now? know. I've, I've just saw that it got filed or whatever. And interesting. So it take years to get through the courts. And There's an interesting one that no one ever talks about. And this is not legal advice. This is just for discussion. So the Bill, the Bill of Rights 1960 actually explicitly says we have the right to enjoyment of property. Mm. But the Charter doesn't. And the Charter allows a massive like out. Like if the government reasonably thinks they should, then they can just take away your rights. Whereas the Bill of Rights didn't do that. Um, if you talk in like in general state and in settings, like people will say, ah, oh, Bill of Rights, that's old. You know, don't don't use that. Use the charter. I think we should be seeing more people using the, the Bill of Rights. Can you, can you imagine the arguments you could make? Well, how can I enjoy my property if you're taxing it? Yeah. <laughs> should I not have said that on the podcast? <laughs> I feel like that's the type of thing you really shouldn't say on a podcast. <laughs> Listen, as long as your taxes are up to date, I'm sure you can say whatever you want, right? Yeah. It's a free speech te- technically. No, yeah, yeah, technically something like that, something like that. So, um, Mark, what's uh, what's your take then? Like, I mean, so you think that that the U.S. maybe will default? Um, what does that do to the environment there? I mean, politicians aren't getting paid. That's not fun. Yeah, I mean, anything, anytime it causes uncertainty, it's not good for the markets, right? Yeah. It won't be good for the stock market. Um, when the stock market goes down, there's less money to invest in real estate. Um, yeah. So you'll see less people buying um you get flight to safe haven mm-hmm. um so it'll just affect all the markets it'll affect all markets there mm-hmm. so so that's where you think the opportunity will be if there's panic in the short run i mean of course these things get resolved like i mean the idea that government won't get funding i think that that type of incident will have larger repercussions like it'll take a year to correct year and a half to to really hmm. filter its way through the whole system maybe you, i mean years. at the end of the day these guys are all paid by the same people like they they all just want to get paid at the end of the day right like i mean if they're if they're at risk of getting voted out they'll do what it takes to not get voted out there, but there there are 
I don't know. You only need four or five people really to to jam up the process, and you, mm-hmm. they got those. And it's like, if, you know, if you don't care, yeah, if you, you don't, know, care. I, I don't care about, I don't care about the money. This is what I'm doing because I think it's right. I haven't seen that in a politician. That's interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, they care about the money, and they're getting paid yeah. outside, maybe. Yeah, but they, right, right. They yeah. don't care about their salary. Yeah, I mean, I. I haven't followed it too, too closely. And by the time this airs, this is a little bit old news, but I know uh, Matt Gates was taking a stand. Did he end up uh, stepping down? He's still, he's still. I, I don't know. Oh, yeah. He's one of the Florida Congress people. Oh. Yeah. Anyways, one of the people standing off why they were having such a hard time because they're so split. But yeah. hey, if anything, I think that's a good thing if it makes people start talking and, you know, being real about things. I'm not overly optimistic. I think, you know, we got to make our own solutions. But yeah. I mean, I think definitely we're going to be in a recession probably by the time yeah. this airs. Like when? Yeah. When is this going to air? A couple of weeks, two, three weeks. Okay, yeah. so maybe not by that yeah. time. But I think you'll see that we've had a negative. Canada in general had a negative quarter in um, the yeah. fourth quarter of 2022. Is that our and, first negative growth quarter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we'll just need a second one in the first quarter, which I think yeah. we'll we'll get. Um, Unless they change the definition, then I don't think they're going to do that. <laughs> um, but I, and you know, interest rates. I think we're going to see another quarter point rise in, in yeah. um, January, January and probably yeah. another one in March. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's going to stop at that point. But you know, if we see a recession, long term bond rates will go down. So that means I'll get my mortgages cheaper. Yeah, yeah. So um, even if they change the overnight rate, and I just broke this down on REI Hot Seat. If uh, people want to understand the difference between these two, go check out the episode from like the first one in January. But uh, Basically, yeah, you could still have your fixed coming down with the exception of the fact that they're doing quantitative tightening. Like they're selling off bonds trying to draw the price down. Yeah. Now, I don't know how many more they have to sell or what, what, what their you know level is right now. But I did hear that they were they recorded a loss. Um, yeah. I guess a time ever. Yeah. So they did record a loss, which makes sense if they're selling off bonds under price. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, just to drive the prices down. So hypothetically, if the market was allowed to function as it should, People would adjust, and those bond rates would would probably come down. Can yeah. you can you unpack that a bit more? Why they would come down? Just the uncertainty in the market, basically. Yeah, just the uncertainty of the market. Um, These bonds aren't they typically, especially government bonds, safe haven? Yeah, they're considered that, right? Well, that's why. So more money flows into there from uh, outside. Right, from like right. So, so then the demand for those goes up, which is why rates go down. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, so obviously that's that's a factor to consider. Plus, they figure like long term bond rates are like oh. Well, if we're in a recession, they're going to lower short term too mm-hmm. at some point. You'd think. But I don't think we're going to see a lowering in 2023. We're going to see an increase, maybe one, two minimum. Yeah. Um, and then we won't see it. Like they'll hold yeah. it steady through 2023. Well, we used to do our prediction videos and it was like, are they going to do it? Are we going to see growth in 2022? I remember we were predicting that at the beginning of the year. And we both naively thought, well, yeah, like, you know, 10% up because uh, we didn't think it could continue. My, well, you were higher than I was. But my my I was, I was a little. <laughs> my thought process was they couldn't possibly raise interest rates with the amount of debt people have. Like they, like the, their sentiment. Like I just didn't think they'd do it. They'd they'd be as ruthless as you'd need to be to control what is actually over ten percent inflation if you didn't do the substitution that they do in the C, the CPI. Um, so I just didn't think they would do what it would take because I knew it would break Canadians. Now it turns out that this Tiff Macklem guy changed his tune from we won't even increase rates until like end of 2023. So don't full, you full worry. employment, don't which was worry. the stupidest thing he ever said. Yeah. And it that, should have been increasing rates like 2021. Yeah, right. July. And now he's like, I'll settle for nothing less than 2% inflation. Yeah. 
But here's here's the other side of that. I mean, when did the big inflation really start? About a year ago at this point? April. 2021? 2022. No, it was bigger than that. Oh, it was bigger, but we didn't see it. Like it was. It didn't peak until like like four or five. And then it went to like eight or nine. And and it kept going. So. Yeah, I, I agree. We're going to see year over year. Prices year over years are going to start de- declining. Um, so I saw, already, we're already seeing that, right? So, so it's coming down. Yeah. yeah. So if he says two percent, effectively, we are going to look like two percent. I think a lot sooner than people think. I, I th- agree. I, I think agree. that. And Michael Burry had a tweet, um, which I, I I thought it was a softening. If anyone follows Michael Burry, the guy that predicted the whole two thousand eight thing, uh, he's been very much doomsday about a lot of this. And then he sort of softened up on it. And he's like. Look, it makes sense. We're going to see CPI actually probably even go negative in the first you know, quarter or second quarter of this year. He's like, then they're going to lower rates and then assets are going to inflate even more. We're going to do it all over again. Will they? I don't know. But keeping that in mind, <laughs> maybe make decisions based on some of that information or factor that into your, uh, your information. Um, what do you think? Like, do, you, do you think we'll see it go negative? I don't think we'll see it go negative. But come back down into the 2% territory? I think we're going to be sub 4 this year for inflation yeah i think i think that's very very likely yeah i think sub four i don't think we hit two percent that's why i don't think we see a decrease in rates but look at the historical precedent we never saw a decrease in rate when when inflation happened in the uh in the 80s like it took forever like they 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 hung tight in a very high territory i i think it's a bit different about how how the inflation came through and what what it was and and all that type of thing um but to see a quick drop in rates, I don't think we're going to see a quick it. drop. I mean, if, if, it, if it was like the 80s, it took from like 85 to 2000 to get back down to 6%. Like it was a very steady sort of decline from like high yeah. teens. Well, I remember my first mortgage was like seven, 6.35 and then I had mm-hmm. a 7% mortgage in Toronto. and mm-hmm. Right around 2000, right? Yeah, 2002, 2000. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where we were. And then it kind of hung out in that territory up until 2008. And that was the, the new era of, you know, 2 3% yep. rates, which didn't exist before. Do you think we ever go back there? 2 3 I mean, I think we see 3 again mm-hmm. at some point, 3 to 4. I don't think we get to 2s again. Yeah. I think that, like, that was, that was them flooding the market with mm-hmm. cheap, cheap debt, buying bonds, buying... Like that's trying yeah. to stimulate a market that they artificially closed. It made no sense. Yeah. Like so, ultimately, what they did is they gave well, people a lot of money to spend on Amazon and a lot of savings. Yeah. And then everything opens back up, and exactly what a lot of people predicted is now the spending will flow, and it will cause the problems that it has. Just as long as everyone keeps going to my restaurants. Just as long, <laughs> Caro and Caro Victoria's, and now the new Speakeasy. My father was famous. My father was famous. That's all in Hamilton. All in Hamilton. Yeah. Make sure you go eat. A restaurant entrepreneur. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's hey, we haven't even talked about that. So, um, yeah, tell me how that's going. Why restaurants? What what's uh, what about that makes you makes you want to do that? Um, so why restaurants? I, I never wanted to get into them. I had a, a property that we had a commercial space in. Found a guy. I'm like, hey, you should open your own restaurants. He's like, I don't have mm-hmm. the money to renovate. I'm like, we're renovating the whole building anyways. Mm-hmm. So why don't we renovate? We'll give you a loan plus equity, mm-hmm. or we'll give you a loan. You give us some equity. And you pay us back through sales, and then it's just turned into four places now, and yeah. possibly a fifth. So it was an un- it wasn't an intended JV, and it ended up being one. Yeah. So you don't actually run these. What's your level of involvement other than an equity partner? Uh, other than I'm an equity partner, and I tell people to eat there, and I eat there myself. Yeah. That, that's my only job is to come on stuff like this and say, "Hey, go eat there because yeah. it's it's really good food." And yeah. yeah. 
Now, restaurants are typically seen to be like, I mean, at least in my head, pretty tough business. Yeah. Yeah. They're not. Uh, well, they they everything was going great. COVID obviously hurt things, the yeah. shit out of us. Mm -hmm. um, but we're we're doing a lot better now. Everything's yeah, people are coming out to eat. Yeah. People want to eat. People want to be out. Yeah. Um, like cops call a seam because one of our restaurants is close to there. Mm -hmm. Like once that started doing events again, that really, really helped us. Drove things. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it's not even cops. It's like first Ontario. Yeah. They've I, changed I it. First Ontario place yeah. now. Yeah. But I still think of it as that too. Uh, cops call Uh But yeah, I mean, with people, more people going out, hopefully that just continues. Like I worry yeah. a little bit about the steakhouse because it's a little higher end. Yeah. The pizza pasta places, I think will always do well through the recession just because it's affordably priced. Like you're, yeah. 25 to 30 bucks a head with a drink right so for dinner really gonna see that how habits work like you know you hear this in, in theory in a recession here's how people behave and i i just never i think was mentally mature enough to to pay attention we're gonna oh. see a lot i think in I, the next it's funny though right it depends like you look at it and say okay people don't change their habits in a recession they only change their habits if they have a life um something happens in their life like if they, they lose their job lose their job yeah or yeah it's like not the recession in general that makes not the it recession happen. in general so yeah. like people who have jobs during a recession are typically going out and doing whatever they're going to yeah. do if they're not fearful for losing losing their job there's some people though that are going to say oh our, our pension's way down like like so, you know we need to save a bit more this year like i i sat down with my parents the other day and they're like yeah we're we got a five or six percent boost in in our pension from Bell, and so we're yeah. getting more money. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously, it's not uh, not all all people in the same story. Uh, I you know I've been thinking about this a lot for our camp. Is is like we're like a discount vacation. Like if you were going to go to Greece, you could just you know go to the grotto up in because uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's the same Greece, <laughs> the grotto. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, um, it, it's it's grotto is Italy though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Grotto's Italy, anyways. Um, but we <laughs> have a Grotto here too. But uh, you know, if you were thinking about one of those vacations, like you got you got a discount version. And Ontario, I think, is actually very beautiful. So I mean, that's at least how you know we're gonna you know position ourselves. And I think we already are positioned as, hey, like you know, it's a pretty awesome experience and it's affordable. And I think that people who are going to be successful in the recession are going to steer into um, solutions that people in a recession want, right? You've got your, your lower, lower price restaurant. People still want to go out. Maybe they don't get steak, yeah. but there's still going to be people who want steak. There's still going to be. Yeah. I yeah. think we're going to do okay. Like, yeah, we're pretty established and yeah, of course. And there's so many other factors that can drive business. Like you look at a generality and you say all things equal, this is going to have this effect. Well, don't let all things be equal. Yeah. Just adjust your marketing, adjust your, your approach, talk to people. Like you could have the best year ever. Yeah. I think a lot of people forget that in a recession that you could still have the best year you've ever had in a recession. Yeah, for sure. And it's just up to you to make I, it. I, I usually have better years as in real estate because if I if I work with investors, yeah, in a recession, people are picking up stuff if they're not yeah. fearful. Right now, they're a little fearful. But, yeah, uh, yeah. What's your take on on the sentiment in general? Like, I know a lot of people have been sitting on the fence, but there are still people buying. Like, I talked to Jake; he does a lot of uh, you know multifamily commercial, and people are still snapping that stuff up. Yeah, well, there's so little inventory in Canada or in Ontario. Yeah, like I mean, I've done three deals in the last month in Alberta for, for multifamilies. Um, I did one here not too long ago, mm -hmm. and yeah, same thing, right? Like it's because they're looking basically they're looking at it and saying, okay, I'm buying it at eight hundred dollar a month rents. Mm -hmm. Market rents are eighteen hundred dollars right now, yeah. and by the time I get those people out, it'll be two thousand dollars. Yeah. So I'm banking on that, like yeah. the 
systemic problem in, in Ontario is that there's not enough of these. Therefore, if I buy this, it'll be good in the long run. Yeah. And they, yeah, they've created such a problem in Ontario. And now the new starts are, are way down. Like developers, they don't want the uncertainty. They, can, they want to wait until they know where the prices are headed. Yeah. They'll probably wait until things, you know, come well, down. And, and to be honest with you, if the Ontario government was, I mean, let's just, it doesn't matter what government's in. But if anybody had the foresight to say, okay, we're going to be able to make this rule about new developers and they would switch from condos to rentals in a heartbeat, mm-hmm. but it's just the uncertainty, right? Like if the the current government can make all the rules they want, but in yeah. four years or three years or whenever, if they get voted out, that rule can change. Yeah, exactly. And so like developers are like, I'll just sit on my money. Yeah, and wait. I'll, I'll just sit and wait. Like it's not worth the risk of yeah. another different government coming in and getting and, in the way of and the change, free market, right? And, and changing the rules on me. Yeah, I think it, the market is far more predictable than government. If, and, if it was really just up to the to the market. There is still that nervousness yeah. in, in Alberta mm-hmm. is that like, oh, does like NDP get back in? Because there's a fragmented... They were there not too long ago, Not right? too long ago because the, uh, the Conservative Party fragmented out there. Yeah. They got back together and that's why they won the election again. But that's what happened, right? Like, That's hard to imagine in Alberta. Probably less of a concern out there, though, because you know the people in general in Alberta. It's it's still, you know, more minded that way. It, it is. It's just a, the hardcore yeah. versus the yeah. fiscal conservative, but progressive, yeah. whatever, right? So progressive conservative. Yeah, well, so here in Ontario, obviously, um, inflation, or sorry, uh, immigration is affecting Ontario probably the most significantly of any province because Justin Trudeau decides how many people are coming in and they all seem to want to come here. Well, here, Vancouver, a little bit Montreal. Um, I mean, Alberta is getting, getting proportionately a large portion. Yeah. But like, you got to figure like Calgary and Edmonton are only about a million people. Yeah. So, you know, to like Southwestern Ontario is 10 million people. Mm-hmm. So for Southwestern Ontario to absorb 200,000 yeah. people, it's a lot less than, yeah. you know, it's like uh, Alberta absorbing 20 or 40,000, yeah. right? So... Yeah, like here's the case for Ontario. I mean, isn't this the scenario that every investor wants? Prices are down like, what, 30%, 25%, 30%? on some. Yeah. yeah, some places. And rents are up like 40% in the same time frame. Yeah. 30%, like depending on where. Like I know London, it was month, year over year, it was like 37% in November. Yeah. Um, like that's insane. That's insane. Like isn't that the scenario to buy? Um, and that's not to say that there isn't further to come down. But, well, rents will go up in the recession here for sure. Yeah. Because more people will rent, less yeah. people will buy. Because everybody's uncertain. And so that's, you know, that's the argument if you ask typically, like, when do you want to buy? When rents are high and prices are low? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the argument. That's why there are people buying right that's now. That's why there's people buying multifamily right yeah. now. Yeah, buying multis. I think, like you said, I agree with you very much so. Um, the, the residential single family uh, homes have been hit worse than the multis. And it makes sense because multis are far more driven by income, except for the small multis where people realize, hey, I could just buy a house and make that triplex. Yeah. I mean, the larger multis obviously didn't have the price uh, increase that that the, the single, single families did it. last year. Like, No, they didn't go up as much. They didn't go up as much. So they're not going to come down. All, they're down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, they've definitely come down, but people are still buying. Mm-hmm. So what's... Uh, 
What's your angle now then? So what would you focus on investing in now with the market the way it is? Is it still Edmonton? I know you said you're interested in the States. Great time to learn now. Head up to a mastermind and, you know. March 4th, I think it is. Yeah, immerse yourself. I, I may or may not be there. I'm not 100% yeah. sure. So we're, we're trying to nail that down. Mark, yeah. Mark will, will do his best. Um, so what am I doing right now? I'm still looking in Ontario for multifamilies. If I yeah. find the right one, I'll buy it. Uh, but majority of that's going to be Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on a couple larger deals out there that uh, I'm going to pick up. Mm-hmm. I, hopefully, if the, if like the numbers larger work. is 100 plus. Yeah, like portfolios yeah. of like eight, six to eight buildings, mm-hmm. like 100, uh, 200 door type things. And that's still the same model you were talking about before where you're bringing in investors as the equity. And yep. uh, you, what do you do? You like a preferred We were preferred doing portion? preferred. Pref- preferred, but I think we're just going to go back to the old 50-50. So it's just 50-50 straight through? 50-50 straight through, one investor per deal, maybe, okay. maybe two. Yeah. Um, just keep it simple. And so these are people coming in with a million plus to close yeah. a deal. Plus renovation funds. Like, are you, are you fund, funding the renovation with like a small credit union or are you doing it with... with so we have uh, private money that will do the, the yeah. renovation. Um, we mm-hmm. can do it one of two ways, but I prefer to just bring the, the cash in Yeah. with the renovation and everything. So. And what's your team look like out there? Yeah, we have a um, a great property manager that we use, and then we have a couple of different contractors out yeah. there, and then obviously our we have a mortgage broker. I'm the realtor, so yeah, you're licensed out there now, right? Yep. Sharon do that too? No, she's not, not yet. licensed out there yet. No, she was saying she was going to. Yeah, yeah. So Sharon hasn't been on the show yet. She should actually, um, but uh, yeah, so Sharon and you sort of built the uh, the team together, Katana Loffler team, and you're investing together as well. Yep. Yeah. How do you find that you two work together in that? Like, what what's she handling versus you? Uh, she's handling like investor relations and relations in general. Like, so I don't have to talk to people. <laughs> Wait, you don't like talking to people? <laughs> I, I, you know, I actually don't mind it. Um, but at the end of the day, that's her specialty. So yeah. let her run with that. And I'm more yeah. like the operations. And so operations are you, you're just coordinating with the various different people on your team on the daily, or do you have somebody there that sort of uh, GCs? We have process? a GC down there too. So it's so a general contractor GCing your, all your rentals just subbed out. Right. Yep. Um, and then your property manager, like do you, how much do you empower your property managers to make decisions? hundred percent. They, I mean, I get phone calls from them, obviously. Like if it's going to be a multi-thousand dollar, you know, fix, do you get, you know, clear it with me first? So we have WhatsApp group. It'll yeah. get put in the WhatsApp group. Hey, the guys, this is going on. And we're like, oh, okay, fix it. You know, like that's, yeah. 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 Usually that's, that's my sentiment as well. Like people on site can contact me. I'm like, well, what are we going to do if we don't fix it? Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have to fix it. So, um, but yeah, I find like when you give those rhetorical responses uh, to people, they start to make the decisions more themselves. Oh, I get it. I know what Mark's going to say. So yeah. I'll just do it and apologize if he gets mad. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, you'll find it's very rare, right? Like like Rod on my sites like, for construction, like he very rarely will make a decision that I don't agree with. Yeah. If it did happen, it's more if he missed something, but not if he like said, hey, I saw this problem and fixed it. I'm rarely mad about that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, I think that's a fear some people have. It's like, oh, I'll get called for all these little things. Not if you empower your team to make decisions. Yeah. When we do, and and they know that it's mainly, hey, here's a heads up. Yeah. Here's a heads up. We did this. Yeah. That makes sense. I like, I like that approach. Or, hey, we have this and it's going to be more than we think. Okay. Yeah. Well, we still have to do it. So, so time-wise in your week, um, what's the split usually when you're not running marathons and you know, training and all that. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably one qu- a quarter of my time on my investment, the investing business. Um, 
quarter of my time with the team, quarter of my time um, like coaching. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I got I got some more time, so that's why I'm going to actually take on some clients this year and, and help them buy. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, so you're what, like probably 30 hours a week kind of like obligations now, if not. 20-ish. Yeah, 20-ish. Well, you don't want to be just busy, right? Like I think like if you give yourself a little bit of like breathing room in there, you have time to think. And then yeah. that thinking time results in much more money because you think strategically about what you need to do. Exactly. Yeah, I like that approach. And all your bookkeeping for all these projects, all your accounting, like I'm a, obviously you have a great accounting team. Like is your bookkeeping internal? Do you have subcontractors? No, we're at, we're outsourced, so. Yeah. Do you have somebody like I know Sharon obviously uh, I've gone out to dinner with you guys she <laughs> she grabs that and so you yeah. just make sure it gets off to the right right off person. to the right person and they handle everything like what's your involvement at that at the end of the year um so we have a we have a, a monthly call hey okay. what happened here what's this what's okay, this okay so you just go over everything yeah. and then um Where does they this have everything go? they give you the reports and you take a quick look yep yeah I'm always you know, that's something I'm starting to ask more is like how do people do this especially when you have a lot going on because you don't want to get into the micro yeah you know and you want to make sure your books are being done regularly so you don't hear in six months that hey what's this yeah you'll never remember no like there was one I'm, we had a new bookkeeper takeover and this wasn't filed from a year ago and seventy thousand dollars I'm like <laughs> how does that not get filed <laughs> I'm like I don't know what that is and then it yeah. took. I don't know, three people digging for like an hour to, to figure like, out. Oh, like, oh, all right, that's what that was. You know? Yeah, that's the worst. Get a good team. Um, we've got, for our camp, we got a really good bookkeeper. He's actually in Philippines. And oh, nice. he crushes it for us. Like, yeah. We just got a system down. It took some time to get it ironed out. But once you get those systems in place, it, it works really well. I think a lot of people get frustrated with the starting it. Yeah. And then they give up in the start, right? Yeah. Like they don't see through it and say, okay, there's going to be hiccups to start with. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be annoying to start with, probably. But mm-hmm. once this all goes, it's it's easy. Yeah. Yeah, you have to put in the work to set up the systems. Mm-hmm. But then things could be really cool. Yeah. Just, you know, it is daunting, but sometimes you just got to push yourself when you're you're not comfortable. Yeah. And you got the concerns. Anyways, Mark, where do people find you, reach you, follow you? Uh, hit me up on YouTube, uh, the Mark Loeffler Experience, or Instagram, uh, Live in the Dream 40. Probably going to change that, actually, just to be Mark Loeffler or whatever, because... <laughs> I think it's time but uh it might be time yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i think they find you if they type in your name yeah, anyway just google mark yeah. waffler and yeah, yeah you'll get that. okay and any uh words of wisdom in this in this climate what what uh what you want to share with people i don't know. go buy good deals go buy good deals yeah don't forget deals. there are good deals put offers in who cares yeah exactly it doesn't hurt to make an offer yep. so Cool. All right, Mark, thanks for coming over. Appreciate it. My pleasure. See you next time. All right. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. I'll see you on the next one. There are a lot of people out there talking about the infinite banking strategy and whether or not it makes sense for them. To find out what it's all about and if it's a fit for you, visit controlandcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines, where my audience can gain exclusive access to books, podcasts, and webinars tailor-made for real estate investors. Are you interested in getting started in investing in the United States but not sure where to start? Why not attend the Investing in the U.S. Mastermind hosted by myself and Nick Van Dyke on March 4th, 
2023. Nick and I will be covering topics ranging from A to Z, new construction, multifamily development, Airbnb, and much, much more, as well as the basics, including opening a bank account and understanding the proper corporate structure. We'll have several keynote speakers touching on very specific topics. And most importantly, you'll be sitting in a room with people who are highly focused and highly committed to investing in the United States. For more information, visit investinginthus.com and send me a DM on Instagram for a special discount code. I'll look forward to seeing you at the event.